Good morning. Today, 30s and 40s. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, she was, boy, she was ready to go, wasn't she, Joshua? Boom. Yes. Well, I trust whenever you get on a plane or hop in a car, you kind of know where you want to be going. Today, we're going to talk about witnessing. Something we all do really, really well. <laughs> Of all the Christian disciplines, probably Bible reading, praying, and witnessing are probably the most difficult to do. We'll just admit that. That's where the greatest work is done, and so there's a lot of opposition to that, and we would admit, I think personally, privately, myself, it's the hardest thing to do and be faithful in. I mean, with a lot of churches, and they would say one of their biggest weaknesses is outreach. And by that, I don't mean having events, but talking to people about the gospel, sharing Christ with an individual outside of the walls of the church, in their home, on a fishing boat, on the tennis court, in a grocery store, we, it, it terrifies us. And I, we'll just admit that. But we know that God has called us to witness. That's your first introductory point. We know that God has called us to witness. So we're going to address that subject today. And we get off the plane when we're done this morning. My objective and praying that God would do would give you Holy Spirit conviction we ought to obey Christ in this. And a sense of clarity on what the gospel is and what it could look like with me sharing the gospel with a person gives some clarity to that. And what God would give you some confidence that he can use you and me to bring his message of Christ dying for sinners to those that need him the most. To give clarity, conviction, and confidence that by the grace of God, you can say, I, I can do that. I ought to, and I can. And for some of us, it's kind of maybe a restart. For some of us, it would be the, the beginning of a journey of sharing Christ with a person and watching God work and bring about conviction and watching people get saved and being faithful in that. And we need to address that. So that's our subject today, and pray that God would use it to bring clarity conviction, and confidence that he can use us for that. So let's pray to that end, shall we? Father, we would pray this morning that you would superintend our time in the Word together. Thank you that we can meet together in this chapel session this morning, enjoy singing and encouragement. Father, pray your Holy Spirit would take the Word of God and open our understanding of what it means to share Christ with people that need him. Father, for those of us that know him, there was a day when someone shared Christ with us. And someone prayed for us. Someone, maybe with a great fear, shared Christ with us. And you convicted us of sin and pointed us to the Savior. We put our trust in him. You brought about a miracle of a new birth. And we're the recipients of that. And Father, you have called us to share that same message with those that have yet to know Christ. And so I pray that you give us that today, some confidence, some courage, and some clarity in sharing Christ with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin our journey this morning in John chapter 6, kind of lay some, some introductory thoughts on how does this really work. We know that Christ died for sins, we're buried and rose again for the dead, he gives life to those who trust him, and that's in, in the essence the nature of the gospel. Let's look at John chapter 6, give some introductory thoughts on how does this work. Jesus here talks himself as the bread of life coming down from heaven. 
that those people need to come to him, believe in him, receive him, and they will receive eternal life. In John chapter 6, in verse 35, it said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So coming to him and believing in him, that's when someone embraces Christ and receives eternal life. Uh, look at verse 36. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. So some will not believe him. That'll be disappointing. I was sharing some stories this morning of people that came to Christ. For every one of those, there are probably five people that rejected the gospel or just walked away in disappointment. So it's going to happen. Then it says, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So the Father gives people to the Son, and they come to him by the sovereign act of God. They come to the one the, one the Father gives him to. Then look down at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And you can sense God drawing people to his Son, giving people to his Son, and they come to him, believe in him, and have eternal life through the bread of life. Now I'll jump over to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll address a little bit our theme verse for the summer, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to begin reading up in, uh, in verse 14. Paul says, the love of Christ controls me, it, it motivates me, it, it constrains me because I have concluded this, thought this through and reached this settled conviction, that's what conclusion means, that one has died for all, therefore all of us have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. That's what happens when you get saved, you live for him. From now on, therefore, because of having life in Christ and living for him, we regard no one according to the flesh. What's he mean by that? We see people now as spiritual beings. Uh, not, not just a doctor and, and a farmer and a neighbor and a friend, but they're spiritual beings with the soul. We, we no longer see people just as merely physical beings. They have spiritual beings with, with a soul. And now see them as lost people. And not just neighbors and friends and co-workers. We see people differently. And then he says, verse 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, given us the ministry. And that, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against him, and entrusting to us as a stewardship the message of reconciliation, the ministry and the message of being reconciled with God. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're representing him, sent by his authority, God making his appeal through us. Hmm. We beg of we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And this is the gospel for our for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God sovereignly gives people to the Son, and they are drawn to him, and they come to believe in him, but God uses people to bring them the message. He uses us. We've been given and trusted a, mess, a ministry, a message of reconciliation, and God makes his appeal through us. We represent Christ as ambassadors. On behalf of Christ, we make an appeal to you to come to Christ. So you see God's sovereignty in all of this and man's responsibility in this, and they come together in seeing people saved. 
God giving people to the Son, drawing people to himself, and then us making an appeal sent by Christ, authorized by him, and God using us to represent him to the lost. So what would that look like? Here's the principle. So what does this actually look like in my life? Because we know God has called us to do this. If you read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, there's one imperative that is to make a disciple, make disciples of all nations. Make believers and those that know him and follow him by going and by baptizing, by teaching, that they would go and make disciples as well. So we, we know this. In Acts chapter 1, he says, we're to be witnesses for him, uh, to speak of him, to testify of him, to share Christ with people that need to know him as their Savior. And we all know this, but what could this look like? And we all have an impression of what witnessing could look like. I remember um, back in the day, Doug Farrell's here, we pastored South Des Moines. Uh, we had great staff meetings, didn't we, Doug? Road hunting for pheasants inspires a lot of good spiritual thought. It did, actually. And uh, we witnessed a lot, and God burdened us to do that. And I remember knocking on doors. We had 85 Awana kids come. We knocked on doors throughout the year to visit the parents, kind of a safe visit. And I would knock on a door hoping no one was home. I kind of bummed that the light was on. Oh, man, they might actually be home. I might actually have to talk to them. I remember those days. And it was driven a lot, some by burden, some by a little bit of guilt to knock on doors of a safe call with some of the had kids coming to our church. But I remember not liking that very much. That's one version. For some people, it's having an event at church. Or one church I know, having the lights on for the evening service is witnessing to them because people will know they're in church. Huh. Or, or maybe as your neighbors watch you drive to church and say, oh, I'm witnessing because they're watching me go to church. Uh, no. Witnessing biblically is personal, relational, and intentional. It's not your notes, but you need to write that down. It is personal and relational and intentional outside the walls of the church primarily. And that's what witnessing can look like. But is there a biblical example of what it could look like? And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 8. Now, the book of Acts records the beginning of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and many people daily getting saved. God gave them favor to those outside the church, and so people actually liked the believers. They liked them. God gave them favor. They liked the believers, so God gave them favor, and God brought people to Christ, and people got saved daily. We find later that through the public preaching of the word, that there were now thousands of believers, many, many disciples. We have no idea what transpired on a personal level yet until we get to Acts chapter 8. And Acts chapter 8 records Philip, the evangelist, he's actually one of the deacons. I love evangelizing deacons. There's one thing deacons should be doing is evangelizing. I like that. But Acts chapter 8 records Philip in Samaria preaching publicly. Many people coming to Christ. Peter was there to kind of give his approval to that. And then, and then God takes him away from that to have a one-on-one -on -one with the Ethiopian eunuch. And I think it's interesting because this is the first detailed conversation between a believer and a non-believer in, in the New Testament, in, in the book of Acts. 
What would that look like? And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 8 today. John 4 is another good example of Jesus one-on-one with the woman at the well. But Acts chapter 8, it sets a precedent and a little bit of a pattern of what witness he could look like for you and I interacting with a person. So let's read Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching, proclaiming the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And and he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, providentially, I believe. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? What a ridiculous question. (laughs) And invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he read was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before his shearer is silent. And so he opens not his mouth, and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they're going along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he he immersed him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried, he raptured Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he proclaimed the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is what witnessing could look like for you and I. I want to pull out some principles today. I think everyone is significant. I think all of them foundational to understanding what, I, what it could look like for me sharing Christ with a person. So let's look at that this morning. First of all, in your notes, we have to go where God sends us. The key, we have to go where God sends us. Twice he says to go, go to this place and go to this person. We have to go. We have, we, have, we have to be goers. We have to take initiative with people. We have to go to them and not just hope that they come to us. Now, on occasion, God will dump someone in your lap. I use that endearingly. At our first Wednesday night prayer meeting in South Des Moines at Bethany Baptist Church, a, a young guy who was a rugby player walked into church and said, I need God. So he got saved that night. So, wow, that was easy. <laughs> and we say, I hope it works that way all the time. It doesn't, but it can. And he had a brother, twin brother, that we watched rugby games. Remember going to rugby games and all? Yeah, I need God. And so we say, oh, that's what's going to work for me. So we, it, if it is, it, it doesn't. But it, it can. We're to be goers. In fact, that is God's plan that we go with the gospel to people not just hope they come to church. And if they do, we go to them with the gospel, maybe in their home and bring it to them. We have to be goers, not expecting them to come. It's simple, but it's profound. 
I, I meet with pulpit committees and say, what's your plan to reach the community with the God? They said, we, we just hope they come and hope they come back. I said, God told us to go. In fact, literally, Matthew 28, to making disciples, you, you do that by going. It, it, it's a participle. You impressed? Don't be. But the main command is to make disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching. So that's the plan. In fact, it literally means in the process of going, or as you go from here, as you all have already gone, you make a disciple in the process of going. As you go here and go there, you connect with people and you make disciples along your journey of life. And that's what it means. So we, we are to be goers. That's God's plan that we do this. You know, God doesn't have another plan. You know, we're kind of it. People, people that know Christ, redeemed believers, are, we're his plan. It isn't angels because they don't understand redemption. They wouldn't do better than we would, but he put this vessel in, in charge of clay. We go in his power. Secondly, uh, we're to see power. We find that in Acts chapter 1, you receive power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Divine enablement allows us to do the impossible. We go divinely enabled by the Spirit of God and gifted by Him to know what to say, to, to give power to what we say. He witnesses while we witness to make things happen. And it doesn't take long to realize you can't convict anybody of sin. You can't make them understand the gospel. We want to be clear, but you can't do any of that. So we go in His power, trusting Him to speak in us and through us to bring conviction of sin to those that need to trust Him. Pastoring in South Des Moines, we prayed that God would give us a couple to work with, and, and, uh, and he did. We had a homeschool representative come to our house uh, every month, and he had a homeschool family that moved in from outside the state, and he connected this family to our church, and they came. Bill and Kelly came, and they visited our church, and the next week I went to visit them in their, in their house. By the way, someone comes to church, go visit them the next week. I shouldn't have to say that. Don't just send them a card. You may not even have to call before you go. Just show up at the door and what do you say? Ah, what do I say? Thank you for coming to church. It's a safe visit. They came to your church first. It's the safest visit you can do. And you say, thank you for coming to church. Hope you enjoyed your stay. How can we pray for you? And you just see what God does. And they were open to the God. We got talking about spiritual things. Bill is a helicopter pilot. He was the lead pilot for Mercy Air Life in Des Moines. He flew Chinook helicopters in Australia. And, and he was searching. He, he, was, he tried Mormonism, Buddhism, and was come up, came up empty. And God happened to put us in his life. So I came in, and I smelled dinner cooking. I can be oblivious, but I smelled cooking, dinner cooking. I thought, oh. So they got talking about things and got into the gospel. And I, and I said, Kelly, this could take a while. And she says, dinner can burn. That's a green light to me. <laughs> and so we gave them the gospel, and Bill and Kelly came to Christ that night. I encourage you, a lot of people that come to Christ are people that maybe come to your church, but you go to them in their home. But God's power is one that saves them. We go personally. God sends us out individually. We go, and here in the text, God sent Philip to a place. See, this is a desert place. Go to this certain place. This is like uh, I-35 coming out of Jerusalem. 
is desert, but it's an interstate. This is the main trade route between this part of the world, and, and this was a busy, busy place. And God sovereignly puts you in places. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? You live where you live because God puts you there. You work where you work because God puts you there. You have hobbies that you like because God put in you to like them. He puts us in places to represent Christ in those places. But places have lots of people. So God will burden you for a person in that place. He singled out the eunuch and said, go to this person in this place by God's sovereign direction. I remember being in, at Bible college and missionaries on meaning well talking about five billion people needing Christ. And my head went, ah. but I could reach my neighbor maybe. And God will single people out in place to give you a burden for them. He won't speak audibly. He doesn't have to. He will burden your heart for a person in a place. And if you pray, Lord, show me which one of my neighbors is open, he will do that. He sends you to a person in a place. We lived in South Des Moines, homeschooling our kids, and uh, Sandy's world was kind of small. I mean, you homeschool the kids, you're keeping the house, and, but she wanted a witness. Lord, give me someone to share Christ with. And so she prayed. And it was her pattern every Wednesday afternoon to go shop at Hy-Vee and Army Post Road in South Des Moines. And uh, she met Marilyn, and Marilyn was a checker, and she went through Marilyn's line every Wednesday afternoon for months. God had burdened her for Marilyn. She would wait for her light even if another light was open. And it began like, hi, I'm Sandy. Can you do that? I don't know what to say. Hi, I'm Sandy, you're Marilyn. And, it was, and then it was every week, so how did your day go? How did your week go? Can you do that? We can do that. You introduce yourself, you've made probably a friend. Look at someone's name tag and say, I am Tim, and what's your name? And you made a friend. So every week was Marilyn's line, we pray for her. After a couple of months, hey, Marilyn, how's your day? Well, not so good. Well, why is that? My husband Bill's in the hospital, and he's got him hooked up to tubes, and we don't know what's wrong, and it's terrifying. Sandy said, could my husband Tim go see him? And she said he would do that? Yeah, he would do that. I never met Bill, never met Marilyn. So my wife offers me to a stranger. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it was a safe offer. You just keep asking questions. We'll talk about that later. She said, you would, it said he would do it. So I got Bill's room number, and he was hooked up to tubes. I have no, no idea. And so if you were to die today, became a real valid question for Bill. So I asked him that. And over time, Bill put his trust in Christ in his hospital room. And we invited them to do a John study with us. We'll talk about those later. They came to our house, went through each of the lessons, and, and affirmed that Bill had put his trust in Christ, and through that, Marilyn got saved. And they had friends that eventually came to Christ as well. That turned the corner in our church. And God will send you to a place and a person in that place and burden you for them and open a door to them. So you begin to pray, Lord, in my neighborhood and where I work and where I do what I like to do, God, open a person's heart and where I go. We talk about the person of Christ. We, um, we share Christ with him and we go praying 
that God would do what we can't do. We pray for boldness and clarity and wisdom and open hearts and open doors because only God can open the heart of an unsaved person. And I need to know how fast to go with them. This might take some time. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So we go praying that God would do what only he can do as we share Christ with them. And we go providentially, meaning we know that God is directing us to these, I call them divine encounters. And they happen all the time. Here you have a a eunuch who's being drawn by the... How do we know that? Well, he went to Jerusalem to find the God of Israel, didn't find him, came back with a copy of the Bible. Where did he get that? How much did that cost? Think about it. And why this passage? <laughs> Isaiah 53, are you kidding me? God is drawing him to himself and then directing Philip to him. That's how it works. God draws people, directs us to them, divine encounters, and God opens their heart. And we get to be part of that. And so we pray that God would providentially lead us to people he's drawing to himself. And so we need to be going and not hoping that they come. Secondly, get involved in the lives of people. These are significant points. Get involved in the lives of people. There's a lot of reasons why we don't witness, and I've used a number of them. Uh, Some for us is kind of too hard, and I tried it once, it didn't work. Handed out a tract and they didn't read it. <laughs> I'm just kind of busy and maybe I don't have the gift of evangelism. Don't even try that one. And uh, maybe just not having a burden for lost people. Uh, and maybe we just don't know what it looks like. But it's a lot of work. A disciple maker means someone attaches himself to your life to become their version of you. A disciple is an imitator, a follower, and disciples of Christ, they they attach themselves to him for life, one-on-one for life, to become like him, to spend time with him, to imitate him, to be their version of him. (laughs) And to make one means someone's going to attach themselves to your life. And, and, and they're going to know Christ, you're going to disciple them, and they're going to watch you and follow you, and, it's demand, and we say, I don't think I want to spend the time in that. If you understand disciple-making, it is terrifying, not because of what you have to do, because of the time it's going to take. But it's a blessing. But you have to get involved in the lives of people, and not just hope they come to church, and not just... Now, sometimes giving a tract is the best way to handle something where you're never going to see them again. That's okay. That's fine. But most of the time, get involved in the lives of people. Philip did. Go join yourself to this chariot. He said, go meet him, talk with him, get involved. He ends up sitting in the chariot invited by him. Now he's really involved in his life. So get involved in the lives of people. It starts with, it may not start with, you know, for sure you're going to heaven. That might come later. Just get involved in the lives of people. John chapter 4, the woman at the well with Christ is a great example. He cared about people, found a way to connect with people, has something in common with people. They're both thirsty, kind of cultivated that friendship and engaged her in conversation and appointed her to himself as the Messiah. That's what that can look like. Get involved in the lives of people. Now, this could take time. It could take time to get involved in someone's life and develop a friendship 
It may not have to, but it can. A number of years ago, Sandy and I took up turkey hunting together, and um, we liked having mementos of our hunts, so we wanted to have turkey fans mounted, so you know, who, do you, who do you trust with that? You know, you know that's a weird-looking turkey fan. It's going to go in the living room. So we went to Shields one day, and we saw some stuff on display and found the name of the guy who did the taxidermist. His name is Corey. He's a four-time world champion taxidermist, and we asked the salesman, can we get Corey's phone number? So he gave us his phone number. So we called him, and we brought turkey fans to him for several years and lived in Carroll, and we brought them to him in Waukee, and um, he knew what we did as a pastor, kind of little drop, hints dropping about the gospel here and there, and he said, you know, I love what you do in helping people. Hmm. I want to do something to help you. I said, okay. He said, how about... If I do a full-body turkey mount for my cost, I'll be okay. <laughs> it's a fraction of the cost of what he charged. And so I said, okay. So Sandy shot a nice Tom the next spring and brought it to him in, in the spring. And the next fall, we called him, was ready to pick it up, and went to his house and um, walked. His taxidermy shop was in his basement. And so we walked in the house, and his second wife was leaving him. He had Lyme disease, and uh, somehow this was the time. We talked in the foyer a little bit about knowing Christ and whatever would happen with his life, Christ would give him life. Went down to his shop for an hour and a half, talked about how God loved him, Christ died for him, he could have eternal life. Whatever happens in this life, he could have eternal life in Christ. And Corey put his trust in Christ in his taxidermy shop. It was seven years of bringing turkey fans. We had something in common with him, and God used that. This can take some time. Our neighbors in Ankeny and our cult, little cul-de-sac, there's eight houses. Our neighbors are from mainland China. They have one of the best restaurants in Ankeny, Pho 85. P-H-O is pronounced Pho, right? Not Pho, right? Is that right? Fa 85, because you go there, yeah. And, and they're our neighbors. They speak very little English, but we have a burden for them, and they don't know how to take care of their yard. And it drives me nuts. I'm a yard carer. Our son did not inherit that trait. Um, just saying. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. And just, but I could linger here a while. <laughs> well, and between the yard, you know, and, and, and I cut it a nice height to retain the moisture, you know. And they cut it like a golf course to only mow it once a month and butcher it and leave a hay field. You'd think they could mow on their side of the yard, and then they mow it on my side and sculpted my yard. Now I'm... I had some sanctifying moments over the months, but I, I responded pretty good. I prayed, Lord, help me not respond in the flesh. So I responded pretty good. <laughs> I said, can I help you with your yard? <laughs> and they speak so little English, and they, and they said, we want our yard to look like your yard. I said, okay. And I'm not a handy person, but I became kind of their handyman. I, I, I fixed their, their refrigerator thing. I fixed their weed trimmer, and I'm not handy, but I fix stuff for them. 
And, and it's a grateful culture. And we got, they brought over a Walmart bag with a live lobster in it to say thank you. <laughs> we went inside and said, oh, it's moving. <laughs> I just put it on the grill and we had lobster. They're very, very grateful. It speaks such little English. And I said, they said, I want our yard to look like your yard. So last, last spring, I bought the fertilizer, I brought the herbicide, and the lawn looks pretty good this spring with some seasonal rains. And we're building a friendship with them. So where do you go with that one? Well, you just pray that God would give you the next step of the journey. And so they have a couple little kids. One of them wanted to play piano. We happen to know a piano player. So Sandy recommended a piano player to them. Her name is Allison. Our piano player for this week is Allison. She's working with some of your teens. So they, they hired her to be her, their piano teacher. So she comes to their house to teach piano at our neighbor's house. Had a recital at Faith, on the campus of Faith, and Sandy's the dean of women there. And so Sandy went to their recital, and shortest recital in the history of piano recitals. Was it 11 minutes? 11 minutes for five kids. But she was there to see Kiki's daughter, Perry, and watch her play. And she got a tour of the campus and marveled that Sandy had a key to every building. Oh, you must be an important person. You get every building here. She opened the keyless thing and she was impressed by that. So you go to the bookstore and pleading with someone to say, do you have Asian tracks in here? So they pointed her to the track section. Kiki said, read it. She said, oh, I have one of these. Hmm. They have Asian friends that live in Ames I have one of those. So this is the next step with them. And so God is working. This is taking time, but we get involved in the lives of people. It's going to take some time. We're going to have to talk to them. Witnessing is talking to unsaved people. I mean, our lives have to be credible so that when we speak, they believe us. But the word witness in Acts 1 is to speak with confidence, without apology, to testify what we know to be true by experience that Christ can save them. We have to speak to them. And that terrifies us. What do you say? Well, what did he say? Well, sometimes you just you say, I just don't know what to say. But you know what? We talk all the time about stuff that we love. Never intimidated. Even people that are quiet will talk endlessly about stuff that's really important to them. We took up turkey hunting a few years ago. Um, Sandy needed a shotgun. And so we got her a Benelli M2. I knew that was coming. Yep, with a 48% recall reduction, three inch magnum, it almost shoots itself, right? She's really good. So she got kind of in love with her gun. It's like, I love my 870. She loves her Benelli M2. So we go to Shields, and she's a passionate Benelli owner. So we're in Shields, and she disappears. Where does she go? Over here was a salesman with a Beretta in his hand. Shame on him. A Beretta with a husband and a wife. And Sandy walks in, excuse me. Do you really want your wife to hunt with you, have confidence? You buy her a Benelli. Don't buy this. Buy a Benelli. And so they did. <laughs> she did it three more times. 
<laughs> and I'm thinking, well, oh, here we go again. I mean, I'm embarrassed by this, talking to strangers about Benelli's, and, but they're selling it. So the, the fourth time, the gal says, are you a Benelli rep? She says, no. I'm just a satisfied customer with a testimony. And she walked on into the car and just cried. I said, Lord, if I can talk to strangers about a gun, why can't I talk to them about Christ? It's not that we're afraid. We just don't maybe love Christ enough to talk about him. So we talk to unsaved people. We, and what do we say? Well, we learn to ask questions. This is, this is worth the price of admission this morning. Learn to ask people questions. And relevant questions. He walks up and said, do you, if you're to die today, do you go to heaven? Oh, I didn't say that. Do you understand what you're reading? Relevant question and questions show that you care. Questions give you time to think. Questions let you know what they're believing and where to go from here, the level of openness. They're not threatening. Learn to ask people questions. We lived in Carroll. Sandy worked at a consignment shop, and all, all women worked there. And uh, she, would, she, she ran the book department and had the books for the, the self-help book right in front of her to make people ask her questions. Had a lot of, lot of conversation. And then we were moving to Ankeny to to be the state rep, and she, they hired Kim to take her place. So she befriended Kim and trained her in a little bit, and over time said, Kim, could I ask you a personal question? She said, yes, we're friends. How long have you known her? Two months. We're friends. Do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? This is in the store. She says, I don't, and she began to cry. And then she asked a question we never asked before. This was new. If you could know for sure, would you want to? That was from the Lord. And I would write that one down. She said, I would. The devil got in the way, kind of disrupted the thing, but eventually she put her trust in Christ in the consignment shop by asking her a question. And all of us can do that. You start with simple things. Jesus, woman of the well, could you give me a drink? How it started. Simple conversation, then you talk about sin, you talk about the Savior. You learn to ask people questions. They're not threatening. They give you information, give you time to think. It shows that you care, learn to ask people questions. This is what Philip did with the eunuch. We, we get involved in life by asking them questions. Number three, we guide them through the scriptures. So now we are, we're going, we're getting involved, we guide them through the scriptures. That's the role that we play as we walk them through the word of God. That becomes our plan. And so he asked a question and he said, how could I, I need someone to guide me? And the word guide means guide, like a hunting guide, like a fishing guide. We went on a fishing trip in Lake Michigan last Thursday on a charter boat with my brother and his wife and they took us where the fish were, told us what to do, and we caught fish. They guided us. And so you have to guide them through the role that we play. I tell them, our goal is to walk you through the scriptures and let God speak to you through his word, and we're here to answer questions about that. That takes all the pressure off of you and I to get them to get it. That's God's job to give them understanding and illuminate their hearts. I just walk into the scriptures and, and I want them to hear what God has. In fact, when we offer a John study to the people, we say, you know, when you read a question, 
and look it up in the Gospel of John. God is talking to you. It's his word. And they say, wow, that's really cool. Well, it is cool. So we got us through this. That has to be interesting. The eunuch knew that he needed someone to guide him. He wanted him to guide him. And that has to be our plan to get him into the word of God so God can speak to them and we just guide them. And that could be a tract. It could be a testimony. It could be a John study that you offer to people that you know and get to know. But it has to be our plan to guide, get them into the scriptures and let God speak to them. A couple in our church came to, uh, came to Christ. They were probably, at that point, Dean and Nancy, probably in their 50s, I'm guessing, and moved to, moved to Carroll and um, had been baptized in a Baptist church and had believed in Jesus, but they, they weren't saved. They, it wouldn't take long. But through the Bible study, they came to Christ and had a burden for people, so we kind of walked them through how to um, take their retreat, their, their acreage, and uh, turn their barn into a retreat center and had a nine-hole little mini golf course. We had singles events there. And they had a burden for people. And, and one time, Nancy was walking down a ramp in their retreat center and tripped and fell and broke her shoulder. She's pretty tiny. She thanked God for that. I don't do that stuff. Because that means we met her therapist. Corey was her therapist. She introduced us to Corey. So we had a Bible study with Corey and his wife, Nancy's therapist. And she's thanking God for her shoulder injuries that we could get to know Corey. So we invite Corey to our house and his wife, and they're doing a John study. And it, it's, it's convicting. You look into the, the scriptures, and, and it's convicting. And so he was so enamored. He, we're sitting in our love seat. They're sitting on the couch. He says, can I move your couch? You're rearranging our furniture. You know that's not a good thing to do in a stranger's house. I said, sure. He, he pulls the couch over to sit closer to where we were speaking. He invaded my personal space, by the way. I was very uncomfortable for a moment, and he's just right there. And we went through lesson number one, and they, they responded well. We, we didn't make a public profession that we knew of, but he was interested. We thought, wow, this is exciting. This is like the eunuch. He's just absorbing. It doesn't happen like that all the time, but it did this time. And so we called him, and we set up the next appointment to do the second lesson, and they were late. And so I said, oh, Wendy, I call him. Don't want to bug him. So we called him, and he said, well, my wife is uncomfortable with all this stuff, and I think we need to start coming to the studies. And my heart just sank. He talked about how much he enjoyed it, what he learned from it. It appeared that he understood the gospel had come to Christ in our first lesson. And we were done and never saw them again. And that's going to happen. The Bible says only a few find him. And you're one of the few. And that's going to happen. But he was hungry, and we got into the scriptures, and that has to be our plan. We moved to Ankeny a few years ago. We kind of lost a lot of our gospel contact with people. We pray that God would give us someone to work with, and he typically does. Lord, give us someone to work with, someone, and, and if you pray that way, God will open the door to someone's heart and burden you for them. And so God burdened us for Mandy. She worked with our daughter Amy and a, an optometrist friend of ours in Ankeny. And uh, Mandy was an optometrist and, and worked with this place that her friend did, and we had a burden for her, and she helped us with our glasses. And so what do you do next? Will you pray, what do we do next with them? Because now we're friends. 
And see, women, men, men, women are good at this. Women are relational. We tend to not be that way. And she said, you know, Mandy and Todd, her husband, just had a baby. I'm going, yeah. <laughs> We're just dense that way. Um, how about if we buy a bouquet of flowers and stop it off to their house and congratulate them on having a baby? How about if we do that? I said, that's a great idea. We did it with our neighbors and Carol. We just brought a flower over and they had a baby, opened a friendship, and they came to Christ. I said, I should have got the flower thing a long time ago. <laughs> and it's non-threatening. It shows that you, so we knocked on their door and said hello, gave them the flowers, and now we're sitting in their chariot. We're in their living room and their kitchen chatting with people that I have never met before except Mandy. And so Mandy is so outgoing and vivacious, kind of like Sandy, and they're just chatting a bunch of stuff, mom stuff about babies, and I got Todd. <laughs> Todd was okay, we were there, he's just not a talker. So I exhausted every question I could think of to give, and they, they landed like a thud. I said, Lord, I'm dying here, not out loud. And pretty soon the conversation turned and found out that Todd had lived in Carroll when we lived in Carroll. Huh, didn't know that. And Todd kind of liked guns, and I kind of like guns. There's a company in rural Carroll called the Volkhorsen Arms Company. They make high-end, custom 22 caliber firearms from scratch. He knows the family. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You know the Volkhorsens? Yeah, I went to high school with their son. I said, you've been in their factory? See, now I'm salivating, you know. He says, they actually made me a custom gun. I said, do you want to see it? I said, duh. I actually said, duh. <laughs> that means yes. <laughs> and so he goes upstairs and gets this tweaked out custom case, and the custom thing looks like something of a space alien movie. And I said, wow, how does it shoot? He says, I don't know. I said, we have to fix that. I just started a conversation, so it just went from there. No gospel was shared yet. We're sitting in their chariot, and now we have some friends. So we just left, prayed what to do next, and our daughter Amy the next day said, Hey, Mom, Manny said that, uh, she said, your parents came by last night. She said, yeah, they're the coolest parents on the planet. That's all you have to do is show up with flowers and be the coolest people on the planet. So what do you do with that? Well, you pray what to do next. It's a journey. You have neighbors, right? What do you do next with them? And so Tanny began to text back and forth to Mandy, and at one time said, Tim and I like doing Bible studies in people's homes. Would you and Todd be interested in doing a Bible study with us? And Mandy said, you would do that? Happened again. We started this John study in their house and met in their living room, in their kitchen, and after a month or two, Mandy, we said, how did your week go? She said, well, I got saved this week. I said, really? Tell us what happened. So she said she got so convicted of her sin, put alongside of the road and confessed her sin, put her trust in Christ and was saved that week. I said, that's amazing. And see, Todd isn't yet. And we kept reading, so we went through the studies and went into the road, St. Rodimaeus book. And, and we said, how did your week go? And about a month later, they said, we went to a Hawkeye game and drove through the snow and almost went off the road. And I said, Todd, you could have died today. You need to get saved. We had to do nothing. She's doing a good job with her husband. And we kept meeting, and we kept, as long as they want to meet, we would meet. I went to the stranger book, and then they demanded to hear our story of how we came to Christ. So we set up a time, a Thursday to tell how we came to Christ and shared how God worked through people and 
convicted us of sin, brought us to Christ, and says, so Mandy, tell us again how, about you, how you came to Christ. And she did. It was the same story. He said, Todd, what about you? And he sat in the dining room at the table, and he clenched his fist. He said, you know, it's like I'm standing on the edge of a cliff, and I need to jump, but I just don't know what to do. I said, Todd, let's review. Do you believe that you're a sinner deserving the wrath of God? He said, yes. That Christ died, paid for your sin. He said, yes. I'm going, what more is there? <laughs> and then I pray, where do I go with this? And God brought me to Romans chapter 10. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. He said, just tell God that. So he did. Bowed his head, confessed his sin, put his trust in Christ. He said, well, that felt good. Now he's like semi-charismatic, you know. <laughs> I just want to go to church. I said, got to wait till Sunday. Don't have church on Friday. <laughs> now, my point is this. You can reach people with firearms and flowers or guns and roses if you would prefer. Because <laughs> that you'll remember. It doesn't always end that way, but that's how the process always works. Get involved in people's lives, got them through the scripture, let God speak to them. You'll be amazed what God can do. And then, of course, you just give them the gospel. Is the next point. You have to give them the gospel. God opens a door, you give them the gospel. And, and, and Philip did. He answered his questions. He pointed him to Jesus. He did it from the scriptures. He gave him the gospel, the good news that Christ died for him as a sinner. Had to know something about the person of God, talk about the problem of sin, the provision that Christ made, and make it personal through saving faith. That's the essence of the gospel. You have to give them the gospel. God opens a door. And then lastly, and we'll close with this, you get them going on the rest of their story. Because now you have a new baby. And you're not done with them. You've just started with them. If you had kids before, that begins the journey of the rest of your life, at least the next 18 to 20 years for sure. You get them going in the rest, and that we don't know how long this story could last because the Great Commission is not just getting a decision, but it's making disciples. They're now attached to you as the one that led them to Christ. And you're to disciple them. And, and, and invest in them. And they will have questions that pat answers won't do. Well, why do you do that? Well, that's what Baptists do. Well, that, won't, that won't satisfy them. You better know why you do what you do. And it's, it's invigorating. It's, it's stressful. But it grows you. Why do you go to church? Why do you give? How much do you give? Why do you pray? What is prayer all about? You have to tell them. And new babies are messy and, and, and clueless and dependent. But they're so because they have filled with life. And you get to be the one who begins him on the journey for the rest of the story as long as God allows. In this case, it wasn't much longer. He did baptize him. And then God separated them and brought the eunuch to North Africa, which planted the church there. This is the book of Acts, which spread of the gospel. And Philip went someplace else to share the gospel there. But you get them started. You take them as far as you can go. And you don't stop because there's more people to reach. And so Philip was raptured. The word carried me. He was raptured like, whoa, that was weird. I'm at Azotus. How'd I get here? 
There are always more people to reach. You can become content that someone came to Christ, but there's always more people to reach. And we get to be part of that. It's a matter of obedience to obey the Great Commission. We're commanded to make disciples. But it's, it's more than that. You, you were not saved at one point in your life. And someone shared Christ with you. And others need him too. And God has chosen to put that treasure in jars of clay. We could be the ambassadors, the messengers, the fishers, fishers of men. And we get to do this. You sit at someone's dining room table or in your living room and they begin to get it. They read a verse in the scripture, remember one couple that we met in Carol and husband and wife and he has said he accepted Christ at one time. We didn't think it was, he understood it and he didn't. So we did a John study with him. And we came to chapter 3, verse 18. It says, you're condemned already. He'd been a Catholic and... Um, he said, does that say what I think it says? I said, yep, you're condemned already. No, do the best you can. Find out how you did. Nothing that you did or ever do will change it. You're condemned already. You're a condemned man before you even knew it. He said, I think I'm in trouble. I said, you're in trouble. What do you do? He said, I need to accept Christ. And he did. He finally understood what it means to believe in Jesus. The word of God is self-authenticating. We defend it, explain it, but I just want, I want people to hear the voice of God in their head and read the scriptures through a tract and a testimony or a study and let God speak to them. I just sit along for the ride and guide them through and answer their questions. And they're going to have some. If you don't know the answer, you say, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. But we get to be part of this. I, I, it's, and you know, I have seasons in my life where we've been faithful and seasons where we have not. I'll confess that to you. Busy in ministry, busy with this, it's going to take a lot of work, and I just don't want to spend the time. The pandemic was hard because it disconnected us from people and getting them in our home, and I'm, I'm still recovering from that to kind of get momentum again to get involved in the lives of people. I haven't always been faithful at that. But we need to be fishers of men. And an ambassador is a privileged position. Be chosen to represent the king in a foreign country, to speak in his behalf, conduct business for him. We get to do this. And by the grace of God, we must and we can. That would love to have you believe that you shouldn't mess with this. Uh, you, you can't, you're not up to this. You, you can't, you're messing with the souls of men. What if you blow it? You can't blow it. They're condemned already. And you might just have to learn and do something differently next time. We've made lots of mistakes, things I would never, ever do again. And you just have to do it and begin your journey to do these things, to go and get involved in the lives of people and guide them through the scriptures and give them the gospel and get them started. This is the template and pray that God would motivate every one of us to either begin the journey or restart the journey to be fishers of men. By the grace of God, you and I can do this. We have the Word of God, the Spirit of God. We have our local churches to help us 
to bring the message of redemption to people that desperately need Christ. Our world, like I said, is a mess. But the gospel is still powerful. And against a black background of like the days of the judges, the gospel shines brighter. We have good news for them. And yes, there'll be disappointments, things you wish you'd never did, you'll never do again. Oh, I wish it, you're going to miss opportunities and not follow up on some. I know because I have done that and not followed up with someone interested, got too busy, and, and the window was closed. I've done that. Pray that God would use our time to be ambassadors for him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today for the love of Christ shown at Calvary. The bread of life, the Lamb of God, the Redeemer of mankind. Father, we are grateful for those that prayed for us, people that talked with us, people that maybe were terrified of speaking with us. We thank you that you used them to bring us the gospel, that we heard it from them, you using them to bring us the good news. And the Spirit of God convicted us of sin and pointed us to Christ. We understood by your grace, having given us to the, the Son and drawn us to yourself, we were born again. Father, help us to take that message to those who have yet to know our Savior. Father, help us to be confident in the gospel, knowing better what that could look like for us. Give us a burden for people where we live, where we work, where we do what we do, and deliver us from our fear of man and be driven by the love of Christ that constrains us, a burden for lost people, and the fact that you're the one that does the saving as you speak through your people. Father, give us someone, one person that we could think of today to begin to pray for, to begin to talk to, you'd open their heart to the gospel. Give us a joy of sharing Christ with someone soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.